0: You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work.
1: It's a Mile High Report radio podcast post-game recap after a win. First game of the season, Ian and I are back to discuss the Denver Broncos' 27-24 victory over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it, a win is a win. I, I, I'm sure we've said that many times before on the podcast, and we will say it many times after this, hopefully this season, uh, but it wasn't pretty by any means, but it was a win. So we'll, we'll, we'll start from there, and we'll, we'll say we're happy to have started the season off Happy, happy football season and uh, 1-0. and we're, we're 19-0 and bound at this point.
0: And that's actually the lead that I used for my winners and losers post on milehighreport.com. But I added this. It feels like there's something more to this 27-24 season opening win over the Seattle Seahawks. It was far from pretty, but the Denver Broncos showed this isn't the same team of the last two seasons. No matter the situation, they didn't get too high or too low. They are prepared for whatever happens and have the confidence to come out on top. I get that this is one game on a marathon path to 16. It's also the first. But there is a lot to take away from this win. And in my opinion, most of it is positive.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. We're going to start with the negatives. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, n- not necessarily negatives, but you and I and and... The Denver Broncos themselves and many people in the media throughout the last, throughout the entire preseason talked a lot about a fast start. And um, before we started, I kind of was going through my notes with you from the game. And I said, the first thing I wrote down was slow start. They came out, um, I don't know, I don't want to say flat. I don't know if flat's the right word and I don't think it's unprepared, but they came out, the offense, I should say, came out slow. The offense came out looking like they were maybe not as big as the moment and you could see like Demarius Thomas had a drop. He had a penalty. It was, it was, there was no rhythm and anytime you get a penalty, you, you see sort of the, the rhythm falls off right away. It was frustrating to watch that first little bit. Uh, but, but I'm going to go with the positive twist here on that, Ian. And I think you'll agree with me on this. You, just like you said in your, in your open there, um, they didn't panic. They didn't crumble. They sort of took that in and and continued to play. You didn't see the collapse that you would have expected at the end of the season, you know, for most of last season, right? Most of 2017, that would have been a collapse moment. And you did not see that today, and I think that
0: was good. Well, think about what we talked about leading up. To this game. It was the, the biggest question mark that we had about this team is what will happen if it faces adversity? And it faced adversity throughout the course of this game. And most of it was self inflicted with Case Keenum throwing terrible passes and making equally as awful decisions. But they faced adversity. And like I said, they remained even keeled. They didn't get too high, they didn't get too low. Like they were prepared for the situation. And that's, the, that's one of the reasons I included Vance Joseph as a winner. And as I said, the Broncos didn't get derailed when faced with adversity. Some will question whether that comes from Joseph, his coaching staff, or the leaders on the team. It's probably a combination of all of those. And as I was writing that, my wife and I actually had a mini-debate as she said. Yeah, if you look all the if you look if you overlook all the other crap, but for this one game at least, Denver didn't get too high or too low. Perhaps the bar is just off the floor, but I take that as a major win, especially when the coach on the opposite sideline is Pete Carroll. Super Bowl champion Pete Carroll. Um, not that we
1: like to talk about that. No, you're you're absolutely right. It it was there were moments watching this game, and, and you and I have different perspectives on what happened in the game because you you were there, and I can't wait to hear sort of your take on what it was like to be in the stadium, but but sitting on a couch, watching it on television, you, you get to see some of the, the little things that you miss when you're in a stadium, like what the players look like on the sideline, what the look like, look is on the coach's face after a big play, after a, after a bad play, and I think for the most part, there was some even-keeledness to the game, but there were times, especially after, uh, Philip Rivers, you know, <laughs> sort of rolls out and, and hits uh, Tyler Lockett for that 894 yard touchdown pass.
0: Wait a minute. Um, Hold up. Did you just take Philip Rivers from Los Angeles? I did to Seattle.
1: Oh, what time is that? That is
0: impressive.
1: Could we do that? Like what would be, would it matter? Russell Wilson Plays for Seattle. I don't
0: want to play Russell Wilson twice, uh, twice a season. <laughs> Neither do I. You know what? I, and we're
1: you know what? We're going to leave that flub in because that's fun, right? Let the fans enjoy the fact. See, we're we're human too. We make mistakes. I was on a roll anyway. He at least I got the
0: receiver right.
1: 50, I'm fifty percent. I'm batting five hundred here. I'm going to the Hall of
0: Fame. You did get the you did get the receiver, That's so there right. is that. And you I plopped pretty, it out there, and it performed.
1: You know, you know, it did perform. I think I got the number on the yardage correct too. I was I was at least within a mile, which which counts. I'm pretty sure. It was it was a bomb. Okay, and Russell Wilson rolls out and he makes a great throw to a wide open wide receiver because Justin Simmons bit on a move, and he and Chris Harris got burned. They got burned. And when they when they panned to Vance Joseph afterwards, my an instant reaction was deer in headlights. And here's the thing: he had his sunglasses on, so you couldn't see his eyes, but you could tell that that's what the look was on his face. But then after that, the Broncos regrouped. They came out and they they didn't just collapse. And, and this is something that I think you can't pound this home too much. That's what she said. Um, but you have to acknowledge that they, they didn't ever really panic. There was never any panic. And I, I really enjoyed that. That I liked. That I was happy
0: to see. The biggest takeaway that I have being at Broncos Stadium at Mile High is there was never any doubt that the Broncos were going to win the game. And I don't know if that's because the Seahawks are, are just that bad, or if it's because of Von Miller in the defense. Or if it's because of, despite the fact that Case Keenum threw three interceptions, the offense still racked up over 400 yards of offense. Or if it was a combination of all of that and Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman.
1: Who had identical rushing numbers, by the way. 15 for 71. I thought that was really cool that both Philip Lindsey and Royce Freeman had 15 rushes for 71 yards. How often does that happen?
0: So there, there was never any. There was never this sense that the game was in doubt. I never got that sense, and there, I I compare it to how I felt in Miami last year when I was at the Dolphins game. Unfortunately, and it never felt like that. I mean, my wife and I were just. My wife and I were just happy we were in Miami because it was early December and it was beautiful out. Ah, uh, yes. Good weather can make any bad situation just a little
1: bit better, right? You can rely on the good weather to help you with that. You know, you bring up a good point, though. I, I don't think I ever really thought that the game was in doubt. But I will say that it's it was, it was really frustrating to watch this game. And it was frustrating because there was no rhythm to the game. You know, you get into a a football game where you know you're going to win and you expect there to be some rhythm. And there was never any real rhythm to this game. And it was frustrating by just the way that Keenum would make these big mistakes. And it would feel like it had that Simeon Lynch feel, right? That, here we go again kind of moment, but then they'd come back out and they'd go down and they'd score some points and they would take the lead. And when they finally took the lead for good, it was like, all right, the game is over. But at least when you watch them offensively, not defensively, defensively, aside from that one big play, the Broncos played great, but offensively there, there was never a real feel for the game. Phillip Lindsay played phenomenally. I think Royce Freeman had a very good game quietly Uh, I was very happy to see Emmanuel Sanders play very well. Uh, What did he have? 10 catches for 135 yards and a touchdown. That's a, that's a heck of a game. If you own him in fantasy, you probably are pretty happy with yourself right now. Offensively, they looked really good and awful at the same time. That's a hard one to marry, right? How do you put those two things together? And can they sustain that throughout the season? That's something I think we'll we'll save for a later date, obviously. But they just never looked like it was an, a, a rhythmic game. It always looked choppy.
0: And I think that's because it was the first game of the season. And it was Case Keenum's first start as a franchise quarterback for a historic franchise in the National Football League in front of a packed house. With fans watching around the world, I mean, wearing, I, we wearing have funny to, hats. We have to remember that this—that Case Keenum is a human. That, I mean, I, there is obviously pressure involved, and it was a huge moment. And let's let's take a look at how the first game of the NFL season unfolded on Thursday between the Falcons and the Eagles. That game was awful. Matt Ryan was terrible. Nick Foles was worse.
1: Yeah, I think the word that I would use to describe it is horrendous. I really like horrendous. It's like three syllables and it's like boom. It was horrendous. You're right. So
0: you you look at the offenses for those two teams and a team that just won the Super Bowl coming out and had no rhythm were not sharp, were not anything. I I, I, I will take what Case Keenum get, did because, yeah, he made some bad decisions. He made some awful throws. He was horrendous at times. But just like the team, he responded. That drive to take the lead and that throw he made to Demarius Thomas, it doesn't get any better than that.
1: That was an incredible pitch and catch. I- I- incredible. How how that ball did not get intercepted, I still don't know. And how Thomas was able to make the grab, I, I still don't know. I mean, his hands were perfect on that play, right? For all of the complaining that we do, you know, he'll drop a five-yard hitch. He'll drop a seven-yard slant, but he will make that catch. That's Rod Smith-esque. Remember Rod Smith was like that? Please, I, I mean... He used to do those things. He would drop the easiest balls and then he would go make some incredible 30-yard up in the air falling on his on his butt catch and you'd be like, "Oh, okay." I feel like that's the same thing with Thomas at times. And that that's a good example of that.
0: Here's the biggest takeaway for me from this game. Because aside from Vance Joseph and that that's going to be a season-long debate because it's going to be determined on what happens at the end of the season. The biggest takeaway for me from this game that leads me to believe that this season is different is the performance of the Broncos' offensive line, because that was the biggest question mark going into this season for this team. And it's it, it, it's it's weird how it always works out, but I, for the first time I met Kyle Montgomery, who was the former Duke of mile high report and his, his biggest question when we talked before the game was the offensive line. And what does the offensive line do? It comes out and allows it. It it paves the way for the Broncos to rush for 146 yards on 32 carries. That's but what reaction. showed me the offensive line is up to the task this season is when the team needed it most, Denver was able to run the ball. Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay each had big runs that allowed the Broncos to flip field position and pin Seattle on its own end to all but end the game. And even better than that, the line allowed one sack. You get that kind of performance from the offensive line – Case Keenum is not going to throw the ball to the other team three times. Well, you hope
1: not, and I think you're right. I, the offensive line looked good, um, and you're you're right. That was the big question mark. So I wouldn't say that the question is answered, but the beginning of the answer is certainly there after after today's game. After they were able to uh, hold off a what I would call a bad. Seattle team let's let's not let's not put Seattle too high up on a pedestal this is not the Seattle of of a few years ago they are not nearly as good as they once were but to to be that successful against a team that has had his historic success in the past woo, uh that that was pretty good that that was a good way to start the season now what we would like to see as fans is that that progresses throughout the year and they continue to be um, they continue to be that good and get better as time goes on, as they play together more and they start to gel a little bit. Cause that's what offensive lines do. The more they play together, the better they get together that that bodes well for this team as they move forward throughout the season. So I think you're absolutely right in that. And I, I think that it will allow for Royce Freeman to really be the bell cow, but I would also like to point out how good Philip Lindsay was in this game. Philip Lindsay did not take a backseat to anybody in this game, and I I want to talk about it just because he's a Colorado guy, Colorado native, Colorado grad, Denver Bronco. I mean, incredible story, and then he comes out wearing his idol's number on his back, and I would say he did Terrell Davis pretty proud today. So I I, I want to give him just a little bit of a clap here, Uh, a little round of applause for Philip Lindsay for having such a great game. And his touchdown catch... The way he the way he took the ball and ran, that was a thing of beauty. And so just want to make mention of that again if, if I can, because that was that was fun to watch.
0: What makes him special to me is he made two tackles as a gunner on special teams. That's what shows you the kind of player and the type of of special quality he has. Because he was just as excited. I, I was watching the board as he watched as he made as he made the play. Because he he ran down Seattle's sideline. He was pushed out of bounds, came back in, and made the tackle. And he was just as fired up for that tackle as a gunner as he was for his touchdown reception. That says everything you need to know about Philip Lindsay.
1: Yeah, I mean, the dude made two tackles and he scored a touchdown. And he rushed for 71 yards. And he was he was clearly the, offensively the most important weapon on the field at times. I mean, what a game! What a game for a guy who I it just to me that's sort of one of those things that you could talk about that for days. There's clearly a that's a story that you can tell when you when he's when he's a grandfather sitting you know sitting by the fire with his grandkids. He'll talk about this game as maybe one of the biggest moments in his life and he'll probably talk about those tackles just as much as he talks about anything else that happened and that's i think you're absolutely right about that that shows that he's he's out there not just to get his numbers but he's he's a team player and he's excited to be on the field that was just a fun watch you know to me watching him play was was fun and i, I just want to make mention of it you know who else was fun
0: von miller von miller was fun that guy. What is what is what is left to say about him?
1: He's not he a had human a hat
0: being. Trick.
1: Yeah, he had a hat trick. The, the strips. Okay, the strip sack, or not the strip sack? Excuse me, because he did have a strip sack that was also phenomenal. But the, the strip heist. On, I call the it heist. the heist. Oh, I like that. He's. It's. I like. We're gonna. We're gonna promote that. The heist. That was. I've. I've never seen a play like that. And to watch him shed the fullback, come back on the play from behind Carson, and then just reach in and take the ball it wasn't like he never went for the tackle. He never made an attempt to gra- wrap up. Everybody else had him, so he just reached in and took the ball away like he was taking like he was taking a football away from a small child. It was so it was it was mean, is what it was. It was just it was mean. It was mean spirited, and I loved it.
0: I. I there's just, there's really nothing left to say about him anymore. I mean, he's one of the greatest in NFL history and he's still playing. And this is from Patrick Smythe. It was, it was Miller's fifth career three sack game. He moves into 48th place in NFL history with 86 and a half career sacks. I, I mean, he, he is this generation's Derek Thomas. Wow, that's high praise.
1: That's high praise to compare him to Derek Thomas, which I think that's what he wants to be, is this generation's Derek Thomas. And he's he's well on his way to being one of the greatest to ever play the game. I mean, you you, you can rank him up there right now if you want to, and you'd be right. It's he's just fun to watch. He he wrecks games and he totally destroyed the Seattle Seahawks today. And Russell Wilson uh, will will always see number fifty eight in his dreams because of just how awful it was today for him. Because he was he was all over the field, taking balls, crushing guys. It was he's just fun to watch. He's fun to watch.
0: The other big takeaway for me, the positive, and I I'm going to get to the, the, the big negative for me. But the big the, the other big takeaway on top of the offensive line was the orange rush. I mean, we know what Von Miller can do. He he's done that. I I, I, I will never take it for granted because he is such a special athlete, and it, he, they just they don't come around that often. So you have to savor everything that Von Miller does. But the last two seasons, he didn't have pass rushers that were opposite of him, like I think he does now, namely Bradley Chubb and Shaquille Barrett. And Shane Ray to a lesser extent, but he didn't really, he wasn't really even on the field today.
1: You know what I noticed about Shane Ray? I, just real quick, he's got no secondary move. Got to have a secondary move. He doesn't have one, but I digress.
0: So, of the defense's six sacks, four and a half came from Miller, Shaquille Barrett, and Bradley Chubb. So, almost all of them from Miller, but Shaquille Barrett still had a huge sack. His sack was was a big turning point in the game. And then Bradley Chubb got a half a sack with Darian Stewart on a big play early in the game. That set the tone, I think for the entire defense and a rookie was involved in that play, but they also made plays containing the edge to make sure that the running backs didn't get going. They, that mean they They each finished with 13 to combined. They finished with 13 tackles and four tackles for loss. So, it's just the latest evidence that everyone needs to get the Orange Rush shirt because the Orange Rush is a badass unit and it is a badass shirt.
1: I mean, what else can I say there? I think you, I think you've sold it perfectly. Um, I, I honestly, really, the excitement is just for the next four or five seasons. Really, you're going to be able to watch one of the best units in football. I mean, that's really, you know, you have Von Miller as the anchor. You have Bradley Chubb, who's going to be around for years to come. And Shaq Barrett, who looks like he's also going to be sticking around for a while. You've you've got a unit there that's going to be scary for the rest of the league and fun to watch for Broncos country. And so get your hands on the shirt because it'll last you a few years because you're going to need it. It's It's something that you will like to have with you for the next three, four, five years, you might even want to take it to like a training camp and get one of them to sign it if you get the chance. That would be cool.
0: Now we talked about the three interceptions. Yeah, we did. But to me, it, it was—I would put it as equally as the biggest blight for for the team today, and that's covering tight ends. And it's been the it's been the same problem for it feels like since the early 2000s. But it needs to get it needs to get corrected.
1: Yeah. Well, so in watching that game, it just felt like for for all of the the good that was going on on defense, that one issue really can destroy the defense in a way that will allow for other teams to score points. And when you've got a guy who has as many yards receiving in one game in the NFL as he had in one season in college, there's a, there's a problem there. Right. And I I think he was getting close to that. And so what is the remedy? I think that's really, let's, let's not, let's not bitch about it. Let's be about it and let's try and find a solution here. Maybe we can forward it on to Vance Joseph and company, but what, uh, what is the solution? Because it's something that has been, like you said, since the early 2000s, the biggest issue on defense for the Denver Broncos. And you know that when it comes down to playing playing the Kansas City Chiefs, playing New England in the playoffs, if at all, uh, if, if that's where things go, you're going to be facing some really good tight ends. You've got... Uh, I mean, and, and you don't even have to point very, you know, go very far because Seattle trotted out a guy whose name I can't even think of. I keep thinking, was it Dilly, D- D- Diller? Dilly? I don't even think I know his name or can say it right. And he, he was smoking the Broncos. What's
0: the solution?
1: How do you fix it?
0: He's on IR right now. So I guess you just have to hope and pray until week eight comes and Sue Cravens gets back.
1: So the solution is to wait. <laughs> but well, I, I mean, he, that, that,
0: was, that was the reason he was brought in. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. Okay, so so in the meantime, what do you do? I think that's the other thing. So we know that waiting in the wings, hopefully, a healthy Sue of Cravens comes in and fixes the problem. What do you do in the meantime? Is it do you do you put Simmons on the tight end and just have him shadow the tight end?
0: I think it's a combination of that. Maybe Chris Harris Jr., I guess it depends on on the offense and who the receivers are. If if you have a tight end who is the best player on offense, I maybe you consider putting Chris Harris Jr. on them. Or the other option is to just get after the quarterback as fast as possible so they don't have time to throw the football,
1: which I think is
0: probably the simplest.
1: I think that's probably what they're going to have to try and do. Uh, It seems to be what they were trying to do against Seattle today anyway. But uh, when you're looking at teams like Kansas city, for example, coming up here soon, Kansas city's got a lot of weapons and it's almost like a pick your poison. I hate to say it, but they, they looked really good today. I don't know if you caught the can, anything you didn't, probably catch any of Kansas city. Did you? They looked, they looked really good. I, I, don't like I thought this, this
0: was charger season.
1: It was Chargers season until the regular season started. And now, now we can start talking about actual football teams being good at football and the chargers are not, even though they play in Los Angeles now, which was supposed to make them still the chargers. I suppose, I would say Kansas city looked really good on offense. Not, not so great on defense but really good on offense. So Can't what's the Can't say anything fix?
0: because I was watching a real football team. <laughs> and it's me. the correct answer. The other big loser in, in terms of the Broncos is Devontae Booker. He only had two carries, only had two catches, but that was enough. In fact, it was too much. For some reason on the first possession of the, of the third quarter, Bill Musgrave decided it was a good time to get Booker involved. And it went as everyone expected, with him running into the rear ends of his offensive linemen. No more roll with Freeman and Lindsay going forward.
1: Yeah, it was. It, it was sort of like you were watching. If how do I explain this? It was like watching the sort of the the death knell. Right? It was over. He went out there and looked. He just looked sluggish. He looked slow. He looked indecisive. And when you compare that, the juxtaposition between what Booker was doing and what Lindsey and Freeman were doing was so stark. It was night and day. It was black and white. It was There was such a huge difference between the way that Booker came out and handled himself on the field versus Freeman and, and Lindsey that you could just tell it, the season of Booker is over. And actually kind of upsets me a little bit because – they could have let Booker go and kept Henderson. And I think that would have been just fine. And I still don't know why they didn't do that. And now that option is gone. And so what? You just Now you just have Booker taking up a spot on the sidelines when you could have had another offensive weapon in there that can actually be productive. That's frustrating. That's That's a mistake by the front office, I think, that could, in the end, if someone, you know... If they if they need another weapon, that could come to come back to bite them later on in the season, which would be which would be a disappointment.
0: Well, I mean, the option is still there. He's just on the Jets practice squad. Sure, they could go and steal him, take him back, that kind of thing. The thing that, and we've talked about this, and listeners will know because I, I've mentioned this. What has what was so weird about D'Angelo Henderson is he never he never really got his chance. Yeah. It's like they 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 didn't like him, or they didn't think that it was serious because they never he thought did when look, he
1: flashed it was real, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like he, he like flashed, they, they but yeah, but that's real. an
0: aberration, right? But he always flashed. Yeah, yeah. every chance he got, he flashed, and it, and in the meantime, it's they they had this weird affinity for Devontae Booker, and hopefully that has ended. After what happened on uh, in Sunday's game, I, I mean, it just there there really is no point to him. He is the Paxton Lynch of running backs, Ugh. and they
1: came from the same draft. Same, I was just say same draft class. So you have the Paxton Lynch, Devontae Booker draft class, and then you put that up against what I would call a very very good draft class to this point with the uh, Royce Freeman, Bradley Chubb. I mean, yeah, no, 18 is better than 16 so far.
0: (laughs) And then the other loser, well, Broncos fans knew it already, but Sebastian Janikowski. Shankikowski. And he not only missed once, he was gifted a second opportunity five yards closer, and he still shanked it.
1: That's you know what that surprised me a little bit. He's not a bad kicker. We know he's not a bad kicker, but he's he looked a little fat to me. Fatter than usual? Yeah, he looked a little bit heavier like and I'm not I know I say that and it seems like a joke and I might be saying it in jest, but the truth is he looked a little bit overweight. He looked a little bit more out of shape than normal, which I suppose as you get older happens. I I understand that, but If it's going to affect the way that you perform on the field, you would think, considering you have all of the training facilities at your disposal, you probably have all the money in the world to hire a nutritionist, you could probably actually care, and I think that's the issue, you could actually care about your job and put in the effort, I'm not sure that he does, he just rolls himself out there and goes to kick the ball, and he'll be successful I guess, but... He looked out of shape. He looked he looked disinterested, and I was happy to see him miss twice. That was fun.
0: And then to me, the other biggest winner is the Broncos. And it's just a bonus. I didn't include it in my winners or losers total. But the Broncos won because Khalil Mack is no longer in the AFC West. No. And anyone who watched Sunday Night Football knows exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you, John Gruden, for one of the worst decisions, if not the worst decision in the history of the National Football League. You
1: know, if you're going to do something, be the best at it. And uh, John Gruden is the best at the worst trades in history. So congratulations to John. You you know, I suppose, I suppose, you know, he's got something he can look back on and say, I'm the best at this. I made the worst trade ever. If you're talking about bad trades, I'm at the top of that list in making the worst trade ever. So congratulations to John Gruden and, and to Raider Nation out there. Feel, uh, I don't feel bad for you at all. Not even a little bit. I couldn't, couldn't even find a, an iota of empathy for you because I don't care. Um, anything else we need to touch on?
0: I think that it, the best way to end it is this win also allowed Pat Bowen to move into fifth place by himself. All-time and wins. Regular season wins and all-time wins. And he passed. Al Davis. Just win, baby. And I think this is going to be for a column that I'm going to write uh, on Monday. But I, I think Mr. B would have loved this game. He would have loved that his team didn't give up. They continued to fight and it didn't stop until the, until the final whistle. And that was something that mr. B always preached to his teams Never, all, you're always in it and I, a large part of that was because of the quarterback he had for the majority of his ownership tenure but
1: it helps when John always is your quarterback and he is the the, the best at comebacks you got yeah no I, I agree with you on that, but
0: it's, it's what he always preached he, he always wanted his team to go out and compete just go out and compete leave it all on the field. Even if you don't succeed, leave it all out on the field. And I don't know, especially last season in the midst of that horrible losing streak, if the team did that.
1: No, and I think that actually goes back to some of the stuff that we talked about before with the fact that they got punched, right? And they they took the punch and then they kept fighting. And, And when you get hit like that, or when you, when you take a punch, whether it's a self-inflicted wound of an interception or a big play by the other team, how do you respond? And the fear was the deer in the headlights, right? The fear was the uh, rollover and die that you saw in 2017 over and over and over and over again. Uh, and that is not what you saw if you watched this game. You saw a team that came out after, after big mistakes, after big plays, and step up and and make things better. And I think that when we talk about what is the big takeaway from this game, just like you said at the start, and I think it's a good place to, to leave it, it's that even keel. They came out. They kept fighting. They never rolled over. They never died. They just kept punching. And that's that's all you can do. You just got to keep
0: punching. And when you keep punching, good things happen. And the other thing that that they'll take away from this, and they'll, it'll be something that Mister B would have wanted, is they got the result they wanted, but they're not going to be satisfied. They know that there's still work to be done. They know they can still get better. They have to get better.
1: I think that's a good that's a good point right there. And so that means we are on to um, we're on to the Raiders oh. at this point. Raider week week two is Raider week but not Khalil Mack week which is fantastic
0: you've been listening to Mile High Report radio get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com and as always go Broncos hello I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation and I want to tell you about my new show it seems smart